Good morning, Hope Church. So good to worship the Lord this morning, and thank you, band, for leading us in that worship. Welcome. If this is your first time here, I'm so glad you could join us this morning. Welcome. Um, We are continuing, actually finishing a series that we've been doing through the letters of hope, H-O-P-E, and uh, we've been looking with each letter at four life practices for walking and living in the hope of Jesus Christ, practical practices for walking in that hope. For the letter H, we looked at hearing with faith, opening the word of God and receiving it with faith and the power, the spirit working in that. With the O, we looked at obedience by faith, faith being the catalyst to obedience in our life as God's word and his wisdom is written on our hearts. With the P, last week we looked at praying in faith and the power of prayer of a life that's submitted to Christ. And this week with the E, we are looking at enjoying God, saying, where's the faith? Well, faith is... It's all there in enjoying God. Enjoying God uh, is part of everything that we have talked about before. It is somewhat of a test to the genuineness of our faith in everything that we've talked about before. I'm looking forward to this morning digging into what it is to enjoy God and how that works into a practical practice in my life from day to day. The verse that that we are using for this letter um, is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. We'd look at that real quick. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him, And rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. That is our living hope. We don't now see him, Jesus, but we love him. We don't see him now, but we believe in him. And there is this joy, inexpressible joy, filled with glory. What is that joy? So deep and profound, inexpressible joy. In the mid-1600s, there was a group in England, the Westminster Assembly, of a little over a hundred theologians that were getting together uh, to weekly for a couple of years Um, putting together uh, a new government of church, a statement of belief, um, and they were looking to to reform further the Church of England at that time, and out of that came these two catechisms. Catechism is is like a manual for for how to how to uh, preach and teach, and and the the large catechism was used um, by preachers, and then they came out with this shorter catechism, which was more for someone who's learning the basics, the fundamentals of our faith, 
And it was all in these forms of questions and answers and questions and answers. And children would learn these. And the most famous question in that shorter Westminster Catechism that came out um, was the question, what is the chief end of man? To which the answer was, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that has been a statement, a question and answer that has carried through the centuries and has been something um, understood by many, a core piece of theology for many. A couple hundred years after that time, same area of the world, a man by the name of George Mueller in the 1800s uh, came to be. And he, he was famous as a preacher, as an evangelist, but most famous for um, establishing orphanages uh, at that time. And, and in his lifetime was able to serve more than 10,000 orphans. He's known for his faith in everything, bringing it to the Lord and trusting God and the story of his life, the incredible stories of him just putting it out to God and God answering his prayer um, is something worth reading. I highly suggest reading the story of his life. This quote from George Mueller, a little too long to put on the screen, says, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. This has been a firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. This is old English back in the 1800s. For the first four years after my conversion, I knew not its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I specially commend this point to the notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service. And for a man of such great faith, whose life has such great impact, I want to know what he says is the secret of all true effectual service. And he says, the secret of all true effectual service is joy in God having experiential acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. Another theologian, man who loves the Lord, who is alive today. He's retired pastor, but he continues to preach, is a man by the name of John Piper. John Piper, early in his ministry, took that catechism that said the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, and he said that's what, what the real truth there is, is that those are not two separate things, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but those go together. That the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And so the thesis of John Piper's ministry, for most of his ministry, and, and even today if you listen to him preach, it almost is there in every single sermon he preaches, is that for God, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
I tend to agree with these statements of such great theologians and men of God, not just, though, because they are men of God who are committed to God's word, but because when I go into the word of God, I see over and over again joy and rejoicing and delight as the reason and the purpose and the end result of so many things, and it's all caught up in who God is and what God has created and what God is doing. How important is joy in enjoying God in our daily walk? I see it in how God has put together the church. It's this bride of Christ, eagerly awaiting the imminent return of Christ. There's joy in that. There's this future hope that we're looking forward to. And, and in the midst of that, God working and working joy into, the, into our midst, into the life of this church. So how do we practice, or as George Mueller said, seek above all things the enjoyment of God? You can't fake it. You can't fake delight and joy. It's something that... We do try to fake at times when there's an outward expression that's needed, like when you get that gift and you open it up and you're like, oh, it's just what I always wanted. No, you'd never do that. But this isn't about our outward expression of joy. Sure, this, this comes out as an outward expression of joy, but we're talking about real, profound, deep joy. You can't fake that. You can't just make it happen. It's got to be something real. So how does that happen in a daily walk? How do we practice that? Well, we're going to need the Holy Spirit. I think we're going to need prayer. Before we get into that, let's pray. Father, I confess that this joy that I am about to teach about from your word is something more profound and something greater than I can wrap my head around. So God, we need your spirit here. Teach us from your word. God, I pray that your truth would come out through my words as we dig into your Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. See, when John the Baptist came ahead of Christ... He was preparing the way for Christ, and he, he was saying, um, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven was coming. Now, I can't talk and flip at the same time. There was going, okay, I'm not multi. So John the Baptist is saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And here in Matthew, Jesus, through parables, is describing what this kingdom of heaven is going to be like that he's going to be ushered in by his death and resurrection. And in verse 44, we have this parable. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What's the meaning of this parable? What is that treasure that he found? It's the gospel. It's Jesus crucified and risen. It's my sins forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. 
And then when we find that, when we come to know Christ, we find something of greater value, a treasure, greater than everything else that we have. And we can put all of that aside and say, this is the thing of most value in my life, is Jesus Christ. Because that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. So this week, as I was trying to figure out how do we begin to walk practically in this idea of enjoying God, well, my best idea is that we start by praying. I got some things for us to pray for, and we're going to be praying this week for treasure. <laughs> God, show me your treasure. I want to know the fullness of the tre- treasure of what I have in Jesus Christ. So there's three things that we're going to pray for. Join me in praying for this week. The first is that God would open my eyes. I need to see If I'm going to delight in something, I've got to know it. God, let me see the glory that you have for me that is this treasure, the glory of who you are. So if I look in Psalms chapter 119, the whole of Psalms 119 is just going on and on and on about the love of God's word and his law. But this particular verse in verse 18 says, Open my eyes, God, open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. What are the wondrous things? When I open God's word in the morning, what are the wondrous things? I'm finding the character of God, who God is. If I'm going to delight in the Lord, then God, open my eyes when I open your word to see your character, who you are, what you're accomplishing, what you're doing. I want to know it for real. God, let me see you in your word. Let me behold wondrous things. Let me understand better as I open this book. The work that you're doing around me, the work that you're doing through this church, the work that you're going to do in the community around us. God, open my eyes to see it. In the Old Testament, there's an account from the history of Israel at a time when the king of Syria was trying to attack the king of Israel, and he would try to catch him in different places, and it seemed like the king of Israel just knew ahead of time everything the king of Syria would try to do. And so he brought his men together and said, okay, who's the traitor here? Who is the one who's letting the king of Israel know all of our plans? And they said, there's no traitor There's a man called Elisha who's there with the king of Israel, and he tells him everything you're about to do. He he tells him even the most secret things that are spoken in your bedroom are not hidden from Elisha. And so King Assyria says, well, then we need to capture Elisha. And so he sends his armies. Then one morning, Elisha's servant wakes up. He says, he sees the city surrounded by the armies of Syria, and he says, Elisha, what are we going to do? We're surrounded by these armies, and Elisha says, don't fear. The number of those for us is greater than the number of those against us. And Elisha prays and says, God, open the eyes of my servant. And the servant then saw the mountains covered, horses and chariots of fire, fully outnumbering the Syrians. Can you imagine Not just the surprise, but the joy in that servant as he realized the power of God against the enemy. There is another prayer 
in the Bible, in the New Testament, similar in asking God to open the eyes, in this case, open the eyes of, of the hearts of those in Ephesians, as Paul is praying for the church in Ephesus. But what he's, what he's praying for is something much greater than mountains covered in the armies of God's angels. Let's look in Ephesians chapter 1. Paul writes, in, starting in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And this is his prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's, this is in Ephesians. We're talking about those powers and authorities being Satan and, and, and the other heavenly uh, opposition that we have. Far above all of those and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God, I want that to be the prayer for our church that our hearts would be open to know, to really know the hope that we have in Christ. But beyond that, to know the power of Christ in us, how much greater than those armies on the mountains is the power of the Son of God who now has been given power over everything is now living in us. We don't need armies to stand against the enemy. So later when... In the end of Ephesians, when he's saying to put on the armor of God, we can stand there in joy knowing that Jesus, the power of God, is in us. How much greater is that? I want my eyes open. God, open my eyes so that I can see the truth and not just know it here, but know it here that God, what I have in you, what you're doing, I want to see that. And the joy of the Lord then deepens in my heart. So God, open my eyes. The second thing I want to pray this week is God, loosen my grip. What does that mean? Let's look in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 5. The writer of Hebrews says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Time and again we see in the Bible this contrast between God and money. Why is it such a difficult thing? As soon as I brought up money, there had to have been, I know, because we all have the flesh, there had to have been something that kind of turned a little bit inside of us. Because money is such, what does money promise? Money, money promises strength. It, it promises security. It promises uh, a lifestyle. It promises comforts. It overcomes fear. 
Where are we supposed to go for all those things? To God. The Bible says we can't serve both God and money. So God, help me to let go of the things. What is it I'm holding on to that I can't really enjoy God? Can you put up that picture? There's a picture. Anyone relate to this picture? Have you ever been the parent there convincing your child, I'm going to catch you. Just go. Sometimes you have to start real close, but you work your way backward. I can just imagine as, as God is just giving us his promises, I will care for you. I will take care of you. Let go. What are we holding on to? We're holding on to all the security that's up on that ledge. But how am I going to enjoy the embrace of the Father if I'm still holding on to what's on, on that ledge? God, help me to release that grip. Boy, I learned a lesson. If, if I've already related this story, I, I apologize for repeating myself. I learned a lesson in 2005 with letting go. Um, we adopted our first in 2005. And... Uh, we, we got to know the birth mom and her family before the adoption. We, Elizabeth got to be in there with the birth. It was wonderful. This is our first child. Uh, we'd been trying to have kids for quite a while. We were just excited and in love with this new child. Four months after he was born, we got a call from a lawyer. Um, through various circumstances of uh, having to do with the birth father and, and his, his family, they'd they needed to know more in the courts about them, and so they went to go try to find the birth father. Instead, they found the, the, the parents of the birth father, and those parents just exploded and said, no, we're not going to have this. We're going to contest this adoption. And there was a lot of reason for us to fear what that might mean. Um, not going to go into the details. But in that time, I had never been angry with God before. But boy, I was then. I said, God, how can you do this? This is my son. And there was a time, sorry, I'm going to learn to preach. Got to preach through tears. There was a time uh, in that month where I went to work. I had a 65-mile trip each way. And a song came on the radio on the way to work. It, was, it wasn't my favorite at the time. It's the song Held. This is what it means to be held. <laughs> I said, God, No. You can't have my son. I was angry with God. And then on the way back, same song came on the radio again. This time I was, it was surrender in my heart. Okay, God, I know no matter what, you're going to hold my son. You're going to take care of me. You're going to take care of my son. And I learned for the first time what it is to really, truly let go of the blessing that God had put into my life. Well, the end of that month came, and they never submitted the paperwork they needed to submit. They never, they never followed through with what they, were gonna say, what they said they would do, and the whole thing went away. Praise the Lord. But it doesn't always end up that way. But we can know that God has us, that he's holding us. I learned then an important life lesson. 
True blessing comes when we're willing to let go of what God has blessed us with. God, loosen my grip on the things that I'm holding on to so that I can fully enjoy your embrace. All right, the final, the final prayer. God, give me a mission. Give me a mission. What does that have to do with walking in the joy of the Lord? Look just a little bit back to Hebrews, uh, beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. Starting in verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. What is he talking about there? Chapter 11, I highly recommend reading, uh, goes back into everyone since the beginning of the world who has, looking forward to this promise that God has, put their faith in what God would, would provide as a Savior and has walked in obedience to God. And even though they were commended through their faith, they didn't get to experience the fullness of the promise that we experience now. So he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Those are the things that we need to release our grasp of. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. He's our example. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is the joy that was set before our Lord and Savior as he approached and endured the cross? In the book of John, time and again, Jesus describes his relationship with the Father. The love of the Father for the Son. The love of the Son for the Father. And in that is is wrapped up this obedience, this perfect obedience of the Son to the Father, to everything that the Father has him do and say the Son is perfectly following in obedience to. And you get this implicit joy that's in that relationship between the Father and the Son. And you see, described that the son in his obedience to the father is displaying for the world his love for the father. And you see even John 10, that God is because of the obedience of the son, loving the son. That obedience is just caught up into that relationship and there is this joy in that relationship. But then it gets better because the object of God's command, the object of what God has Jesus doing is his love towards us. And so that joy that is set before Christ is not just what's caught up in that relationship with the Father, but that joy before Christ is you and me. It's those that through what he was doing in obedience to the Father would make a way that we could have life and have it with him. And so we look in John chapter 15. And we see how we, through faith and what Christ accomplished on the cross, now are able and are invited to join in that relationship between the Father and the Son. John chapter 15. Looking starting in verse 9. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, 
So I have loved you. Abide in my love. He's inviting us in to that incredible relationship between the Father and the Son. He says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, that whole obedience caught up into that relationship is there that we're being invited into, just as Christ did before the Father. Now we do that with Christ. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Can you imagine that joy that's between the Father and the Son he now wants to put into us? So what is the commandment? What is it that we're going to obey? That this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. We're carrying the same example that Christ had. To love one another. And when we love one another, just as the love of Christ for the Father displayed his love to the world, it says, they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. We have been given the same thing that Christ has. And there's joy in it. And there's a mission already, as I'm asking God, give me a mission. There's a mission already on our lives. It's to love one another. It's also there, because there's some that are not part of this fold yet, that God is calling that's out there. And he says, I want you to go and tell them. How can they believe unless they've heard the gospel? Go call them. That's our mission. But I want to pray for this week is to be specific. God, who is my mission? Who has God put in your life that you need to lay your life down to love with the love of Christ that he loved you with? Who in your life has God put there that you need to lay your life down and let the power of the Holy Spirit working through you love them? And it's in that that we are going to find joy, the same joy that was in Christ that now he's working in us. God, open my eyes, loosen my grip to the things I'm holding on so tightly, and give me a mission to have joy set before me just like it was set before you. The mission of Hope Church is much the same. We have it up there. It comes from the same place. Our mission as a church is to love God. That's that relationship. Just like Jesus had this relationship caught up with the Father. Our mission as a church is to love God. And Jesus is the head of this church, and we will hold on to the head of this church. And our mission is to transform lives by the living hope of Jesus Christ. What is that living hope? How do we do that? That's what we've been going through. Founded on the word of God. In every ministry that we do, in everything that we do, central to that is the message of the gospel. The gospel should be there in everything that we do as a church. Obeying by faith. God, we recognize that this is not our church. This is not our program. You have an agenda in this community. You have an agenda that you are working through Hope Church, and we want to walk in obedience to that as a church.
God, we want to be a church that prays. We want to lead every effort in prayer on our knees, knowing that the power comes from you. It's not through what we bring to the table, God, but your power working through us. And God, let us be a church that enjoys you. That is the mission of Hope Church. We are the bride of Christ, walking in obedience the head who is Jesus let's pray Father thank you thank you for what you accomplished on the cross God thank you for calling us to your purpose in Hope Church we've already got to see your hand at work in providing for our, our basic needs for reaching into this community that is Hope Church in providing ways that we could love each other. God, I pray that you would grow that, that Hope Church would be a testimony of your love at work, that the world would know that we are your disciples. The world would know that we love you, Jesus, because of our love for each other, that we would lay down our lives for each other. God, I pray that the community around us, our neighbors, those that are at, on the soccer field, and those that are, that are at the baseball games, that they would know the love of Christ through those who call Hope Church their home because the hope of Jesus Christ is in them. And your gospel is made clear through the members of this body. God, I pray that you would use us to have an impact in this community. God, there are those now that you are working in their hearts in this community that need you. There's broken homes, God. There's my neighbors have broken homes, God. They need you and they need you desperately. God, I pray that you would begin a work. We know and trust that you have already begun a work in this community to prepare hearts. God, I pray that you would give us boldness. That at every opportunity, trusting you in faith, Enjoy, God, that we would make known the wonders, the mystery of the gospel, that through your Son, we can have salvation. Through your death, we can have forgiveness of our sins. Through your life, raised from the dead, we can have new life. God, we can only see dimly as in a mirror the glory that awaits us. But I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see more clearly the glory that we have right now in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.